I'm Dr. Tagrid, your friendly child psychiatrist, and this is a space for young people, families, and professionals who want to understand neurodiversity and mental illness in the simplest of terms. Join me for 30 minutes of expert advice, simple science, and practical knowledge. Please be aware that some episodes may feature triggering topics about trauma, suicide, and self-harm. If you feel triggered by some of this content, please seek help and support immediately. The show notes contain a list of helpful support organizations in the UK. Hi. So today we're going to talk about the treatment of borderline personality disorders. And with me, I've got my colleague, Dr. Hussam Hamwi, who is a consultant adult psychiatrist. Hi, Hussam. Hello, Tareed. Do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Of course. I'm Hussam Hamwi. I'm a medical psychotherapist and a general adult psychiatrist. And medical psychotherapist. So that's, I'm going to explain to people what that is. And you tell me if I'm right. So a medical psychotherapist is a psychiatrist, so that's a doctor, who uh, goes on to get extra training with psychotherapy, talking therapies. Correct, yes. And in your practice, do you work a lot with borderline personality disorder? I, I, do, I do work with a sort of wide range of personality difficulties and disorders, inc- including borderline, correct, yes, uh, amongst other uh, mental health difficulties. So today we're going to talk about the interventions for borderline personality disorder. And that can mean talking therapies, it can mean medication, and it can mean lifestyle kind of changes in management. So let's start with talking therapies. Sure. I guess the, a starting point should be that, uh, that it is treatable condition that people can be treated and, and they should be. And therefore, sometimes it's, uh, it's useful to recognize it or recognize features of it early on in life. Uh, in the past, there used to be a, a very high suicide rate, up to 10% of people who are diagnosed with personality disorder. Now, now given it's the, the way it's diagnosed, that the statistics can be uh, sometimes a bit uncertain. But, but a lot of people ended up with uh, sort of ending their life, unfortunately, which is which is quite a significant, very, very high percentage. Now, thankfully, th- there are some uh, uh, evidence-based treatments. There are a lot of treatments about that do help with the prognosis, and I think the recognition of it, the, the treatments that are offered, have made a big difference. Sort of some of the therapies that we use in the, in the United Kingdom uh, include mentalization-based therapy, Another therapy called transference focus therapy and, uh, and DBT or dialectical behavioral therapy. Now, therapies, while they, they all seem to be helpful, they're, they're helpful in different things. Um, and this is what the research shows. And it makes sense because they're, they're somewhat different treatments, although they use some common concepts and, and they do overlaps. So what works better than the other? I don't think there's a, there's a clarity on this. But what I would say is that some treatments and some types of therapies are more useful to some people with personality disorders than others. And, and, and the clinician is usually the person 
that will work with the with the uh, patient to determine what's suitable for them. So some some treatments will target treating the feelings and the behaviors di directly, such as DBT. Uh, they uses concepts such as distress tolerance uh, and emotional regulation techniques and uh, and things such as effective communication. So it targets the actual problem directly and it works. It's helpful, particularly for people who self-harm. So, so DBT is the gold standard treatment for people who uh, have severe attempts to self-harm or, or, or suicide. At least this is the way we tend to use it in the UK. Now, if you actually look at the manual, you will f you'll find some really helpful techniques for everyone. You know, for, for example, being, being assertive, learning to be assertive. There's a lot of helpful techniques in it. So, so DBT tends to, the, the typical program tends to, uh, to run uh, uh, parallel between groups and individual therapy. So people will have group treatment and they will also have individual component of it. It's a very intense treatment and it lasts for a long time, you know, up to two years, depending on, on the locality and, and how it's provided. Sometimes the group component isn't there, sometimes the individual component and that, that it stops becoming, being the, the full therapy. So sometimes what people offer and some services offer something called DBT skills groups, i.e. parts of the whole program. So I think I, I think what's relevant for people to understand is that in the UK we have a national health service, which means that sometimes the whole course of DBT can be quite expensive in some areas. And what they do is offer DBT skills, which is a kind of a, a smaller version, watered down version of DBT, where skills are offered as a as a main rather than group and individual. So the, it, it, watered down as in. Uh, uh, sometimes it's, it's, it's the intensity, so you still have you still learn the same things, but uh, with things that should have been learnt uh, early on in life, when you attempt to learn them as an adult uh, or as a teenager, they're hard and have to be repeated, and they must have to be repeated in multiple contexts, and most importantly, they had they have to be experienced in life, and this is this is where the benefit of time comes is that you know you learn something you go out in in your day-to-day -day life uh, things happen and you use your skills and it doesn't work and you go back and you talk about it in the group you leave the group and you attempt again and so on and so forth so you do the whole program in fact twice so it's all about uh, the, the the learning process so this is where the internalization comes from until you internalize the skills and it becomes part of you and you use it in your day-to-day -day. so in uh, group skills uh, or in the shorter version People just don't have the chance to learn long enough and intensely enough. Not everybody needs it. You know, often people still find uh, shorter version is, is still useful. There are two things to consider here. If you're going, for example, if you're in a national health service kind of country where treatments can be offered on um, in the national health service, you, you're going to be looking at what's available in the service, what your clinician is recommending for you and what's available. These can be two different things. Sometimes we think about, okay, maybe DBT would really work, but actually it's not available in the service. So that's something to think about. 
And then the other thing, if you're in the private sector, you're going to be thinking about that maybe more openly. So people who are covered by insurance, for example, have a little bit more freedom in choosing where to go. Maybe not in the UK, to be honest, because because uh, I'm not sure what our insurance will offer will offer uh, or offers long term therapy like the NHS does at the moment. I think the NHS is a lot better in some other countries, like the I think Germany used to offer up to three times a week therapy, which some modalities of treatment require it. So. Uh, uh, but, but I would say to people that they, they shouldn't be despondent if there's something not available. Often full programs of DBT, for example, is reserved for the more severe disorders. That doesn't mean other modalities or shorter versions are not useful or helpful. I think they still are. Uh, but, but the NHS is the main provider for those forms of treatments, not the private sector. So I think what we're saying is that there are a few types of therapy. There are two main types, the types that help you manage the behaviors and the types that help you look at the core of the symptoms, right? And then out of the types that help you manage the behaviors, DBT is the gold standard that we kind of recommend for borderline personality disorder. And DBT can come in different ways and forms and and shapes that can fit with each service that provides them. But it's important when you're making the decision to start therapy to know that this is going to be a long-term thing. So you need to think about the logistics of that. And you also need to think about what your really what your goals are, what you want to do in yeah. therapy, what you want to achieve. Yes, that's right. But I don't think this is a decision that we could expect our patients to, to make, you know, on their own. They, they, it, it's a collaborative thing. I think it's the, it's the role of the clinician to expa- explain what's available. And, and I wouldn't say DBT is the main treatment. It's one of the main treatments. It's not better than, than the other treatments that are available, such as transference-focused therapy or uh, mentalization-based therapy, which in fact is becoming more and more the most used modality in, um, uh, in, in, in the UK. And and it also works in groups and individual treatment. So as you can see, it's 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 a it's a time demanding, it's effort demanding. It requires a lot of uh, resources from the clinicians and from the patient. Uh, so it's you know it's it's quite a lot for a person to attend eight, an hour and a half for a group therapy and an hour or fifty minutes of an individual therapy every single week for about eighteen months. For example, that's the MBT program. There's variations, of course, between localities. So so what I would expect going into DBT is to work on distress mm-hmm. tolerance, stuff like being assertive, managing self-harm. What else? Uh, so th- these are the main things that there are for modules in DBT. So they all sound the same. So it's just important to make that dis- distinction. I've mentioned DBT and I mentioned MBT. So, so DBT ha- has four modules, offer four, four modules that people do over several months. And they, after they finish the whole program, they repeat it again. I'm not an expert in DBT because I, I don't practice it on, on a day-to-day basis, but I do other forms of therapy. So uh, it, it includes the, the, the main skills that people learn, as I mentioned, distress tolerance, the capacity to, uh, to learn how to manage their own distress without resorting to things like self-harm. Um, they learn effective communication. They learn uh, sort of emotional regulation and and, and mindfulness techniques. Uh, so so these are the main things that the DBT targets. 
And it's called DBT because it's dialectical behavioral therapy. And dialectical means it kind of conversational because the basis of the therapy is not just changing the behavior, but also conversing with it, kind of managing it, having an internal way of dialoguing with all of the behavioral patterns that one has and having that dialogue in, internally, but also externally with a group, externally with a therapist as well. So it, it's a very interesting kind of therapy. So what's MBT? Mentalization-based therapy. It's, it's, it's not really a therapy that can be explained a few words because the word is, is a, it's a bit of a mouthful. But, but again, it's a really nice treatment, mentalization-based therapy that uh, it helps people reflecting on their internal experience and the experience with others. Uh, this is, so, so often people with person, I think we have to talk about what doesn't work here for us to understand how MBT works. So what's often people fail when they have a personality dif difficulty, even when they don't, is the capacity to attribute intention to the behavior or uh, or the feelings, which means they uh, uh, things feel. Uh, I'll give an example. In fact, it might be easier. Uh, an interpersonal situation might happen, and and the person, example, a conflict within a relationship, and the person thinking he did this because of that, uh, and that can be, of course, correct. Quite often, it isn't. Uh, the attribution, then the meaning of this conflict is related to the person that interpreted it. And how this person did this is, in personality disorder, it's a template, it's a prediction. You predict that this person had done it with a certain intention. So what mentalization does is it helps people, uh, and after that happens, often the person dysregulates. They either get very angry or they get very fearful of abandoning or being abandoned. Uh, so mentalization helps people to take a step back, to reflect on the state of affairs, what's going on, what are the feelings in all this, uh, for them to calm down enough to start mentalizing, uh, i.e. action and feelings in an intentional way. Uh, it's like having a, a mind above the mind. So instead of reacting in the moment, it's, it's like training oneself to stop, think, analyze, and calculate how to react. Yes, and often people learn from each other in the group. This is the beauty of, um, of, of being in a group that suddenly, you, uh, I mean, I'm saying this because quite often people are reluctant to, to be part of groups. They're frightened of judgment and frightened of what it is like to talk about your problems. So I want to stress here, in fact, the group is sometimes more, more useful. I wouldn't say more or less, but, but, you know, at least as useful as the individual therapy because people learn from each other. They get validated just by hearing that others have very, very similar, albeit unique, but very similar difficulties interpersonally and, and, and internally. So, and, and mentalization theory is rooted in attachment theory. It goes right back to the attachment difficulty that the people would have experienced. Not, not that it invites them to sort of think about childhood, but the design of the treatment, the theory behind it is the, the way it starts and ends uh, and the way pe people are followed up are all rooted in the attachment uh, uh, theory. It's almost as though, again, you're conversing 
with the difficulties, but on a mental level, not just on a behavioral level, but on a mental level, what goes on in my mind and my perception of others, my perception of situations, my perception of relationships and events. Absolutely. And, and the theory is that under certain uh, pressure with a different, uh, and usually this is interpersonal pressure, but any pressure, uh, mental pressure, the person could lose mentalization, the capacity to think and reflect on the thinking and the feeling and the behavior in a meaningful way. Uh, and with a person who has a personality disorder, all what needs to happen is sometimes an internal experience such as pain or it, often an interpersonal experience. And, uh, and they lose the capacity to mentalize and they, they follow, uh, different routes of poor mentalization. And there are modes of this and complexities that I wouldn't go into the details of it because it requires a uh, sort of a lot of time to explain what MBT is exactly and how it runs. But the main thing is that people lose the capacity to mentalize. They either become uh, a, a bit detached from reality, for example, or they overthink what's going on. They, they, they become what we've discussed in the previous episode, something about being paranoid or being suspicious of the other's intention. Uh, so transference focus therapy is, uh, is not very, it's not very well known in the UK as much as the US, but it is. I think it, it is practiced everywhere and becoming more and more common. So this is often an individual therapy uh, that lasts between one to two years. And it's practiced between two to three times a week. So again, it's quite intense. Group is not a component of it usually, although uh, now there are uh, attempts to uh, to do transference-focused uh, group. And, and the theory of it, and again, it's a... Uh, uh, it's a slightly uh, difficult to explain it in very few words, but uh, transference focus therapy is a relational treatment, which means it's a treatment that focuses on thinking about the relationships. The, the theory behind it, again, going back to the early experiences, that as a result of uh, certain patterns of relationships with the early caregiver, as a result in, of trauma in the attachment, and as a result of uh, constitutional factors, which means, you know, how the baby is to begin with, you know, people are different. And, and it acknowledges here that people are different. Uh, and and not everybody who has a trauma ends up having a personality disorder, and and not everybody with a personality disorder uh, have a trauma, uh, although most commonly they come together. So uh, so TFP starts from that point, from that early interaction with the early care caregiver, and uh, it helps the patient to think of themselves in the relationship with the other. If you remember in the previous um, session, in the previous episode, we talked about the intense relationships, how the person perceives themselves as constantly abandonable, or they will be rejected, or there's prediction that in every relationship, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be left, I'm going to be thrown away. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and, uh, and this prediction is, is like an imprint. It's there. It's a template of how you communicate with others. And it comes with certain behaviors. You start the relationship, for example, by attempting to please the person in front of you, because you know, if I don't do this, um, the person will respond to me in this or that way. 
or they will leave me, or they will not like me. I need to be different in order to be liked. The word transparency means that uh, it basically it's a reference to these predictions of how you predict what happened early in childhood will happen again. It's, it's, it's an implicit thing, or sometimes we use the word unconscious. You're not necessarily thinking about it. You just acted right from the first moment. You know, I might have, for example, I might reflect on some clients that come in and I observe them coming through the door with being very cautious of what's going around them. They appear very self-aware. They say very little. And, and if you think about it, why should that happen? I'm there to help. And uh, there's already prediction that uh, I possibly will judge them as a, as a therapist or I may not believe what uh, what they're coming in with. So if I was doing a mentalization based therapy, I will focus on that situation. I will attempt to understand what's going on in their mind and attempt to work together. Whether is this really the case? Why as a therapist I would be judging What's in their mind about this? How how certain are they about it? If I was doing transference-focused therapy, I would focus on the template, i.e. focus on the relationship, how they feel about themselves in, in this particular moment as a person who's feeling judged or frightened and how they perceive me as a, as a judging therapist, although they've just literally arrived. So, so the aim of this relationship is uh, to help the person understand and develop an understanding of who they are uh, and how they see others are in relation to them and how they feel as a result. Hopefully with time, people will become less extreme in this, i.e. they understand that this person that they idealize or they see as perfect is the same person that they might later attribute some negative uh, uh, sort of value to them. So the aim of the treatment is integration of both the, the so instead of, of it being love-hate relationship, it becomes both love and hate or, you know, black and white together. Hopefully grey way of, of uh, being with others and feeling with them. So, so I think it, it's, it's, uh, it's important to highlight that the people with personality disorder will, will perceive the world in very black and white way. It's very important to understand that in borderline personality disorder, you're often dealing with frequent crises and frequent periods of, of difficulty. So sometimes what happens is that you have times where you have a lot of crises, and I definitely see this in young people. You have a period of, you know, self-harm is really strong. There's a lot of suicidal attempts. Think, things are really bad. Um, this is definitely not a time to start doing trauma-focused therapy, for example. I think maybe that's more of a time to think about DBT, to think about crisis stabilization, think about more kind of approaches that help settle. I'm wondering, how about the psychotherapies that we see in movies, the ones that, you know, psychodynamic psychotherapies and, and ones where one can reflect on their childhood, on past events and make sense of them. Are they, are they ones that work for borderline? Well, this is one of the reasons that these uh, therapies that I've just mentioned uh, have been developed because the older type therapies, the so-called analytic treatments or uh, psychodynamic psychotherapy treatment, they take a lot longer and they work far less 
for people with personality disorders or particularly the, the, the moderate and severe uh, forms of them. So uh, that said, if the person can tolerate them, they can be done with some adjustments. So if the therapist is familiar with, uh, with pers personality disorders and personality disturbances, they, they will use other components from other treatments. For example, I might be doing uh, psychodynamic psychotherapy and I will use mentalization techniques. It can be done kind of tailored and bespoke. It can be tailored within, within reason. If the disorder is severe, which is the minority, the very minority of cases, then it may stop being appropriate. How about medication? Well, medication is a, is a big one. Different clinicians would have different views. The, the most recent recommendation of uh, the National Institute of Clinical uh, Excellence. So nice for people to understand. Um, we have a guidance body in the UK and this gives us kind of metabolizes all the evidence and research about a topic and then spits out a bit of guidance to us that's really trusted and kind of um, looked at by experts. That's called NICE. So when clinicians tell you NICE, that means, you know, they've looked at the Bible. Yes. So NICE have given actually a NICE recommendation because they made it a lot clearer uh, more recently. The, the very, very short answer, uh, but not the very exhaustive one, the very short answer is Personality disorder is a psychological illness that you treat with psychological and social methods. You don't treat it with tablets. Tablets will not cure personality disorder. Now, it might help with some aspects of it, or if there are problems with it that, uh, that are making it worse. So uh, there are forms of treatment that include anti-anxiety and antidepressants and, uh, and other more uh, sort of... Um, intensive treatments such as mood stabilizers or antipsychotics, they're, they're the same thing. I think what we're telling people at the end of this, um, of, of this episode, that there are a lot of options to help with borderline personality disorders. There's talking therapies, there are medications, and it's helpful to have these conversations with your clinician, but it's also helpful to know that there's uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel if you have this diagnosis. Things tend to improve if you don't touch them. That's what I tell people sometimes. If you don't touch it, it improves. It will improve, but it's probably going to take a lot of number of years and there's going to be a price to pay an impact on your life. What we hope by throwing some help at it is to shorten the amount of time that you're struggling and to reduce the impact on your life. Thank you very much, Hassem. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me today. Remember to check the show notes for helpful resources and support. If you enjoyed listening, subscribe to our channel and get notified about the latest episodes. This is Dr. Tagrid, wishing you well. Well.